0: Welcome to the second special issue of Visionary Women for the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast recorded live at the In Pursuit of Luxury conference. I'm joined by design thinker and artist Jessica Helfand, Charlotte Keesing, the Director of Corporate Affairs and International at Walpole, Alison Lloyd, Creative Director at Ali Capellino, and Effie Canua, Director of PR and Comms at Hearst UK. Join us for an insight into their world. So this is day two um, of our Visionary Women uh, live series. And I'm thrilled to have um, Ali, Charlotte, Effie, um, and Jessica to talk today about um, all things luxury, but also to talk about how we communicate ideas around luxury and how we engage um, the customer. Um, I wanted to start with a question around vision, um to all of you and this is for all of you and i wanted to ask you how you thought um having vision shapes the world around us jessica would you like to start us off
1: i'd be delighted to start us off and thank you for inviting me to participate with my lovely new friends here who i wish i could meet in person Uh, you know i think i'm not sure that this is um everyone's perspective but for me the things that I find the most visionary are the things that are the most honest. And what's tricky about that is that you can only be honest for yourself. You can only speak for your own character and understanding of the world and your role in it. But I think increasingly the things that I see that are truly visionary come from one person being fearless and brave about what it is they believe. And, I would love to hear from my co-panelists about how that extends, if they agree or disagree. But I think increasingly, that which sustains itself, that which I'm seeing that is exciting, and and speaks to other people and their needs, and not just your own, tends to come from one particular perspective. And the more authentic and clear it is, the better it is for
0: everyone. Ali, what do you think?
1: I I, I didn't I read the
2: question differently. I, did you say what are we bringing? <laughs> I, what think are you... I, th- I, th- I think we're bringing colour and change. Okay. I hope we're bringing colour and change.
0: How does your creativity um, or your creative vision then shape the world around us, or how do you think it does?
2: Sure, I don't think I'm shaping the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you you make a contribution. You've been you've been sharing with us your design talent for many years. Yeah. And it you know i, um, I mean, my contribution is
2: is um i suppose function uh, making function work with design um that's that's my passion making fabrics look amazing yeah is anyone noticing
0: <laughs> yeah well, I think we all notice um, I certainly notice because I've got a huge collection of um, ali capellino merchandise um, in my cupboard um Effie, what about you?
3: Hi, um, thanks for having me. So, I mean, I guess from my perspective, um, working at Hearst UK, we're really lucky, I guess, to have um, a, a whole wealth of brands that have, to me, in in terms of ba- breaking boundaries and sort of doing new and brave things, um, have made me really proud. Um, I'm just thinking about our latest issue of Elle. We've just had first non-binary model on the cover um and I think we've had a sort of a history of of that you know with with Ollie on the cover of Elle as the first non-binary um model I think that's important and I I really think as a magazine publisher we should be breaking new boundaries we should be showing diversity we should be um showing the world as it is and um, we've kind of done it for years in terms of um Tess Holiday on the cover of Cosmopolitan um Stormzy when he was on our cover as the male on a fashion cover for Elle with his black um British collective I just think it's really important for us to um be more reflective to drive new conversations but also, to make everyone feel more included, particularly within luxury. I mean, that's what we're talking about. I think for us, it's about making sure that everyone feels welcome. Um, we represent everyone wherever they are um, through different ways: through our content, through our events, through our cover stars. Um, and and what I've noticed more and more is that by breaking new boundaries, by choosing a sort of more diverse perspective in terms of who we feature what we cover our audience reacts a lot better to us um and also you know they appreciate the fact that we are showing everyone and including everyone in terms of what we do and you know everyone can enjoy luxury right so we as a magazine publisher should be you know responsible for illustrating that so I agree it's about being brave taking new boundaries driving new conversations just you know really pushing it
0: as far as we can. That's interesting we are going to pick up on some of that um, as we uh, move through our conversation I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Charlotte what about you?
4: Uh, thanks, Sean. Thanks, great, great opening question, and thank you all for going first. It was giving me a few minutes to put my thoughts together as well. Um, a number of things. I think there is there, there's a there's a kind of golden thread of visionary individuals throughout the luxury sector. If you think back to Josiah Wedgwood or Thomas Burberry. They were visionaries in their time. They wanted to do things differently, and they did. And that then set a standard for others to follow. They, they innovated in terms of materials production process. But I see in our brands of tomorrow, so those very, very young luxury brands that we're nurturing and helping them get to the next stage, all of those individuals are visionaries too. They want to do things differently and set a, set a new tone. Um, and it's important to have a vision because if, if you don't, where are you trying to get to? You know, you need to bring your people behind you, your customer and your employees, to go and to bring that, that vision to life. And you might have heard about Christina um, Blanic always talks about having a 300-year plan, not just a three or a five-year plan that, you know, you hear in kind of business strategy, but I love that sentiment of this is a long-term legacy. And I think that's so true of the luxury sector.
0: You speak about, um, it's in, um, you, you touched on Wedgwood and you touched mm-hmm. on Burberry. I mean, I, I was going to ask a slightly contentious question, but maybe oh, I Go should. on.
4: <laughs> Do it. It's more fun. <laughs>
0: I will. It is. Uh, I, I will. But um, just this idea of communication that um, you had mentioned. You all make up a panel of of great communicators. Jessica's an author. She's an artist, an educator. Um, Ali, uh, designer. Um, Effie, you are responsible for communication. And um, Charlotte, I mean, in the world that you work uh, work and live, in terms of um, Walpole, it's about communicating. You know your um, collection of companies, well, it's more than a collection of companies that you work with. How do you then communicate luxury? Um, I'll, and I will ask the the potentially contentious question after that. How do you communicate luxury? Effie, let's start with you.
3: I mean, I, I guess for us, we communicate it depending on our, our audience. So um, if you look at a brand like Harper's Bazaar, it's steeped in heritage for us it's you know it's everything from you know the people we feature it's it's the cover shoots it's the events that we put on i mean women of the year is you know one of our sort of long standing amazing events that sort of celebrates you know, all of these amazing women from, you know, fashion, models, the arts, um, acting, entrepreneurs, etc. Um, But for Harper's Bazaar, it's, it's, you know, it's about communicating that rich heritage and um, communicating in long form. It's the long read. It has a very sort of distinct personality. But then if you look at a brand like L, Elle, L's really about, capturing the zeitgeist. So, you know, the motto for L is um, the new, the now, and the next. And like I mentioned before about sort of featuring Ollie, it's about sort of um, predicting what's going to happen in the future. And if you look at an L audience, they want a different type of luxury. So um, I guess what we do uh, as the business is that we take the inherent personality of our brands and um, you know we use data I know we're going to come on to sort of technology later but we use data and insights to really understand what our audiences want from us and then we put together our, our content and our experiences in a way to communicate it that really resonates with our audience.
0: Jessica what about you? I mean you are you designing less now, but you're a designer. You've worked in that world for many, many years. What are your thoughts about that um, idea of communicating luxury?
1: Well, I'm going to be a bit of a troublemaker. And, and at, can I do that? Is, is it too yeah. early in the day to do that?
0: No, Charlotte's um, ready and waiting.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't have a corporate remit the way, and I and I don't have a, a brand. I have Design Observer a collective of authors. It's been going for 18 years. Obviously, we... Uphold different points of view, which I think comes back to something Effie said about how you want everyone to feel welcome. My question, which comes back to this our our individual and group definition of luxury, is what happens when luxury is seen as elitism, or -hmm. what happens when luxury speaks to scarcity, economic scarcity? So the question of inclusiveness becomes very, very tricky and communicating. For example, in the United States, I can only speak for my lovely country, uh, there's been a real question about um, awards ceremonies, right? Who are you awarding and to what are you giving that reward? And what are you celebrating on behalf of one person that makes other people feel left out? And to what degree are the people who are being celebrated celebrated for promoting an agenda or communicating a kind of exotic? unreachable goal. Uh, And I think that for me, you and I, Sean, have talked about this many times. What, What is the sort of moral and ethical standard by which we manifest our bravery and our authorship and the specificity of our vision in a way that doesn't water it down or dilute it in any way, but also doesn't leave people out? And to me, that is the difficulty as a communicator, as a writer, um, but also as a publisher, and and increasingly for me as an artist. And again, I cannot speak to the complexity of what what Effie and Charlotte have have got to 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 manage the, the the multiplicity of of visions in their remit. But I I think that the central ethical question for me is what happens when luxury is out of reach to too many.
0: Um, Ali, what do you think? Oh my gosh! About communicating luxury and how we do it. Well, the roots that we have
2: are social media and so the uh, increasingly because it's all digital it's how do we visually get the smell and the feel of things across and i think that's you know with a product like ours i used to think you can't sell things you can't sell bags on the website how could anybody buy us off a website but i mean that's all we do now and so that is what we're trying to communicate how the touch and the feel and the everything is about a, a product and how, how it makes you feel. So there's always a, a combination of, of things that I think we try and put together. Something about the inspiration, artists.
0: Ali, do you think that we've changed the way we communicate um, luxury?
2: We've probably got better at it, I suppose, in in that way. There's a lot of descriptive talk on about things as, labeling in things is much more detailed people want to know not just efficacy but the ideas behind things i I think and with something like ours where it's sort of stripped back and simple it's quite important that that detail is understood you know the function is understood so the communications is very important
0: Charlotte, you deal with so many different brands. I mean, not so similar to what um, Effie does in terms of all the publications. How do you manage that or how do you support those brands in the way they communicate?
4: It's a great topic of conversation. And um, for what will we do, to your point, Sean, we have a slightly different problem or challenge, I should put it, in that we're trying to communicate what British luxury stands for and what that means. Um, And I did a report with a brilliant uh, brand agency called Notable about four or five years ago, actually for some more international events in in the US, where we tried to define the unique qualities and characteristics of of British luxury. And and to Ali's point there, actually something that we talked about was this kind of just the reverie and design functionality it's a very kind of uniquely British luxury quality. Um, and we talk about colourful personalities, the kind of dynamic heritage, we're very kind of progressive. Um, we Warpole as, as our own uh, organization you know communicate through our channels our beautiful Walpole yearbook that's just literally been signed off and gone to print this morning our social media channels our website through our events programs um but we have a job to do that. it's kind of a it, it's a number of audiences because we're, we're, we're communicating to the luxury industry as, as it in itself to kind of identify as british luxury but also then increasingly our consumer comms we mostly tend to do through our social channels um but i think jessica you picked on such a great point there that that definition of luxury and that importance of you know being in, in, inclusive and, and I think from you know where we when we kind of talk about luxury we obviously do it you know a lot in, internally with our members is that it doesn't have to be exclusionary it can be very inclusionary because you know luxury can, can it, it's, it's very personal what, what is luxury to me is luxury it's different to somebody else but it's something that brings you joy, and that can be, you know, a beautiful new Chanel lipstick or a cup of tea at Forton's and Masons. It can be many things to many people, and I think that's what's so wonderful about how the luxury, you know, discussion and, and industry has grown and, and become much more inclusive in that way. Still a
0: long way to go, I hasten to add, but much more inclusive. This might be the contentious bit because I'm, oh. I'm thinking about what you were saying about Burberry and um, Wedgwood, and in those days, you know, this is a long time ago. I mean, it. They were innovators. Mm, and I suppose the question that I would then ask is, are they still innovators um, in the same way as that they they were? Or is the way we communicate our perceptions of luxury changing? Charlotte, you can give with that one. Of <laughs>
4: course. Gosh, lots of points there. Yeah, so are, are those brands to innovative? Absolutely, yes, they are. They might be innovating in different ways. So, particularly in communications, I think I think Burberry is incredibly strong on how they always continue to innovate on their communications, but also in the way they're approaching their sustainability agenda as well. Lots of examples. So yes, absolutely still innovators. So I think that is kind of part of kind of luxury DNA, isn't it? It's is innovation and creativity. Um, sorry, Sean, the second question, it's gone already. Forgive me, it's two questions in
0: one. <laughs> well, just about the perceptions of luxury, you know, um, how we are communicating perceptions of luxury and if yeah. that's changed. Because- yeah you know, luxury is changing all the time. It absolutely
4: is. And I always kind of think back from my early career, which feels like several lifetimes ago now, but I started working in advertising. And, you know, I think back like 20 years ago, you know, kind of how you would communicate is so, so different to, to now. And there's a much more kind of a, an option for dialogue. And to your point, Ali, really being able to get, get under the skin of the brand, get to know the creative director. You see their life, you part, live and be part of their life. And that is you know, I think that's what's the joy of all of our jobs. We get to be part of this amazing journey and help to shape and form it and also be observers in it as well.
0: Effie, what do you think? I mean, you are dealing with this uh, communicate with these communication strategies all the time. And a lot of what I suppose what all of you do is to change the way we perceive things. As consumers,
3: I guess for us, in terms of how we've moved on um, as a business at Hearst UK, um, but across all of our brands, is that I guess in terms of our communications, we've realised that our audience isn't just in one space. So it's not just about reading a magazine or you know going online and looking at you know one of our brand websites for like L decoration or something we've we've decided that you know we needed to move with the times and sort of invest very much in digital which I think all brands are doing so you know we communicate through our podcasts um uh, through our YouTube channel. So we, you know, we've invested quite heavily in sort of um, video series, which is amazing. It could be anything from, um, you know, fitness to cookery to fashion, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, you know, we, we've we started doing partnerships with the likes of TikTok. Um, some of our brands have been incredibly successful on Snapchat. I guess our biggest insight is, is that, our audiences are in lots of different spaces, and there are now more ways than ever, ever that we can speak to them and sort of bring our brands to life and all the partners that we work with in sort of new, exciting, and, and creative ways. And, like, and to come back to your first point about sort of being visionary, I think that's what's so great about being in the industry that I'm in and working with such amazing iconic brands is that we're always trying new things, you know, new events, you know, the pandemic, we had to shift sort of real life events to virtual events. How do you, how do you communicate luxury when you're sort of online, you know, it's not the same as you know, being in Claridge's for Women of the Year and having that whole sort of sensory experience. So how do you sort of move and and shift things to still sort of, you know, translate that into a way where sort of people still enjoy that whole sort of sensory experience? Um, But it's kind of exciting. It's it's
0: made us work a lot harder. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. I mean, I know... um, um a, few, uh, a couple of months ago, Ali, you were doing these images on Instagram around t- um, Twitters.
2: Around what?
0: <laughs> the Twitters. Oh, the bird, watching.
2: bird watching.
0: Yeah. And that was it. something that really captured the imagination of an Ali Cappellino um, customer. Yeah. Is that or was that a way for you to address a different way of communicating to your audience? Because you hadn't done something like that in that <laughs> way before. Well, we've always sort of looked at community in our sort of campaign type
2: things. I mean, it came out of a bit of a silly idea because um, I sort of was looking at groups of people, lady engineers, I'm quite attracted to this idea. I just this picture of some bird watchers and they all had their backs to the camera and they're looking up and I just thought backpacks is our business, you know, and that's the perfect thing. And I, I thought the whole idea of bird watching a little bit geeky but a brilliant pandemic occupation and you know and when we got together with the um group called uh what was it called mm-hmm. as a, a, a bird watching thing for people of color brown and brown and black people particularly who've gone on to be huge with gucci and god knows who, who else as well but um, yeah for me it sort of it gave an opportunity of sort of showing a kind of disparate community communicating on, on something.
1: A really interesting thing that Allison and Charlotte are bringing up that I think is, uh, I'd be interested in your opinion, Sean, too, which is Charlotte said that luxury is different for everybody. And Allie said, she thinks about community. And Effie said, I'm communicating to different communities because we have many different brands and many different channels. And I'm so fascinated as someone who doesn't deal with product the same way all of you are at what that one to many macro micro dimension of luxury looks like from day to day. Like one person at one time carries one backpack to do one thing, bring on the pandemic. You can't even do that. You can't even go outside. You can't buy anything. You can't go anywhere. I have a beautiful garden. Nobody could come here and see it because we were in lockdown. So that whole communicating even to your own small sphere of people? I think it's really a fascinating question.
0: Sorry, back to you, boss. No, no, no. I mean, I'm happy for Charlotte, yeah. Daffy, Ali to jump in. Um, I love how you reflected that, Black, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's a
4: wonderful kind of commentator's ability to kind of pick up different different streams as well. Um, and my, I think my point was it was just that is, you know, I get kind of some sort because of we do get asked, you know, how do you define luxury? And, you know, our point there is is that point is actually it depends, you know, what's value to you and what's important to you and what brings you joy. And that can be very different for, for all of us. It's probably just even our four in a room. It's probably five in a room. It's probably different, isn't it? And I think that's where you've got to kind of recognize what luxury means is different to different people. But as a brand, you're still communicating to your your kind of fairly distinct audiences. So, so you're you know, you're know understanding that, that luxury means different things to different people. But as a brand, you've still got your communities that you are talking to. And you've got your fairly well-developed marketing toolkits to do that.
0: Effie, what do you think?
3: I mean, I, I, I don't really think I could add to that because that's just so, so well <laughs> summed up. But yeah. Um, Yeah, I I would definitely say that, you know, the past year has not necessarily been, it has been challenging, but I also think it's, it's been a sort of opportunity to touching on um, the idea for me personally, luxury is about that thing, whatever it is, and the sort of feeling that it, it gives you. And I think the really nice thing has been over the past year is sort of bringing lots of different people together and al- almost unifying them through an experience. So that could be through, you know, an event or, you know, a, a podcast or, w- or whatever it is. But um I think what's been great is that there's almost been, a sort of coming together and people appreciating the different elements of luxury, whether it's, you know, food or travel or fashion or, you know, pampering yourself, whatever. And, you know, one of the things for us has been around listening to what people want, like, and and people definitely have sort of leaned into us for sort of positivity and, and joy. And us sort of taking that information and translating it across our sort of different channels into things that do bring joy, because, you know, it's sort of been a bit of a bumpy ride. And I guess the one thing that we've tried to position ourselves as is, you know, this beacon of positivity when everything is, you know, so negative out there. It's those small points and moments of luxury that sort of Unite people or bring a bit of joy, you know, give you time to yourself. Even, you know, the physical action of reading a magazine, it's you know, taking time to yourself, that time to me is a luxury. So um it's it's been really interesting. I think people are beginning to realise the importance of that. And it's small things and it's different things to everyone, but I think what we've been focusing
0: on is how we do it well. Just picking up on all of those points, um, but particularly the one around community. I mean, typically brands are global. How do you create local community when we're dealing with those those sorts of issues? Charlotte, you've it's,
4: it's, it's, a, it's a great point, Sean. I also want to just, um you know, I, I couldn't agree more. Reading a magazine quietly with my nice cup of tea, whatever it is, is a total joy. I, I It's a complete luxury to have an hour. And, and I have to say your, your point on the kind of, um, you made a great point there as well, is that you know when I pick up Harper's, I feel like they really know me. I, I feel understood. I feel like it's my really clever girlfriend who's really culturally connected, has written this magazine just for me. And you know, that's a unique skill to do that and to really know who your audience is. So, and that kind of links back to the question, Sean, is that yes, it is incredibly challenging because we are living in a it's a completely connected global world but yet you still need to be connecting to your local your local customer and I think that's where you know you've obviously got your you know your global marketing team but then your local marketing teams are absolutely critical for taking the global message the global campaigns and then interpreting that and then finding ways of connecting that to their local communities but it's it's, you know you think of the job of the CMO now it is a really tough complex job particularly with the multiple of medium and channels they now have to
0: work with I was just going to say that um, this is slightly frivolous, but men's health is not my friend because I'm.
3: There's um... <laughs> something for everyone, sure. No, you, you don't have to be a super athlete. That's, yeah. I mean, that's been the nice yeah. thing. There's lots of different things. It's what you take from it.
1: I'm well, sure uh...
3: a secret fan.
1: Yeah, you need Charlotte's really great, smart girlfriend who's culturally connected. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah, no, get men's health. Forget
0: <laughs> absolutely get that from men's health. I know that I, you know. Need to do some exercise. So that's enough for me. Um, But, you know,
1: um, there's an article in this morning's New York Times about the fact that rent the runway is back in a big way. mm. And I think it's interesting, this question of community after the year we've just had. And I'm the only person on this panel, disclaimer, who's not in fashion. So I'm really jumping out of my lane here. So pull me back. But but I thought, you know screens being Zoom fatigue, being real screens being what they are. The truth is this is its own kind of micro orbit, which is a kind of community, which is that we we may not be able to reach each other or go shopping or experience going to Claridge's for Woman of the year, which sounds like so much fun. And I want to go next time. Effie, I'll be your date. I don't even know what it is, but it sounds like so much fun. But I think to the degree that pampering comes in all ways, luxury, treating yourself well, or, or having some fun right? The idea that these clever things that you are doing to nurture a brand or to find bird watchers or to have a YouTube channel are all creative ways to reach people where they are. And that's a kind of community too.
0: And, you know, Jessica, you've got, um, I mean, your your business is omnichannel. Um, You've got a considerable number of followers. Um, on your on uh, Design Observer with, and yourself with Twitter and Instagram. Um, one, of,
1: one of whom is watching right now, Ida from Stockholm. Hi, Ida.
0: Yes, I, I, I see. She's <laughs> 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 asked the question, which I'm going to... One gonna, of my followers. Yeah. Yes, go on. Um, But, you know, when you've got millions of people following you in, the, in that way, I was just wondering if the way you are communicating with these communities um, has changed or if technology has forced you to change in the way you engage um, with your community?
1: I'm embarrassed to say it's it's I'm not nearly doing the data analysis that that Hearst is doing and should we should be doing. Um, I mean, we have a million and a half followers on Twitter and I think we have 8,000 on Instagram. I mean, there's something wrong. There's a disparity because we are not paying attention to that. Um, and it's, it's different. It changes by the minute, right? I mean, the way we all use social media as soapboxes and vehicles to express who we are, where we are, what we need, how we want to connect in this last year alone has been seismically different than it was in the past. And of course, the big, big shift, because we've been around since 2003, which is we now say on our podcasts, uh, follow us on social media, but we've been around since before social media. So just go to the website, right? So it's like, how do you even begin? They're all arteries, right? There's this arterial network of ways in which you reach people and ways in which they reach you. So there's also a reciprocation Right. So I would imagine that part of the value of having followers of Ali Capolino is that they post pictures of their banks, is that people say, I saw this great thing at Harper's. And so you have your, your media outreach is actually also through all levels of influencers. Design Observer doesn't have quite the exciting luxury brand profile as <laughs> as some of our panelists today. But I, I do think that it's not a one-way street. That 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 circuitry between you and the various ways you reach people and the ways they reach you and and how they kind of multiply and bloom. And also that can also backfire. I'm I'm sure in some cases it has for us, I know, but but there's a kind of bravery in that too. Personal relationship with people that you don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. How do you do that, Ali? Because I mean your um your social media is very uh, tactile, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, people that I don't know write very sort of personal. I mean, I don't mean personal in anything rude or anything, but they they, they write as though they're friends. And so I quite often write back as though they're yeah. friends. But in fact, I've never met them Or, But presumably, as they're engaged, then they are in the community.
0: Yeah, and that's a different kind of community. And
2: if they introduce me to, I mean... I find it inspiring because if somebody asks an interesting question, I
0: go and look at what they're doing, what they're interested in. You know, it opens up
2: windows all the time.
0: And Effie, how about, I mean, you manage such a diverse portfolio of product in terms of the magazines, dealing with millions of different people who aspire to different things. And now I was just going to ask how you've, um, how technologies change the way you engage with these um, diverse audiences.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, and I think it was a really good point. I think, I don't know if, if Jessica said it about that sort of dialogue. I mean, that's been one of the sort of best things to come out of the growth and the innovation in, in technology is that I almost feel as though a lot of our brands are having those two-way conversations. Definitely the likes of, you know, L. Um, cosmopolitan, good housekeeping, you hear from your readers. It's not like you put out content and that's it. It goes into the ether. It, it, you know, people feed back. They tell you what they like. They tell you what they definitely don't like, but that's that's fine and it's good. And, you know, the, one of the smart things actually that we got from the US was this um, technology called Hands, which was um, the way that we could track conversations but also searches. Um, and what's that what that has kind of meant for us as a business has meant that in real time we could, for example, I don't know, lots of people are looking for home grooming products, right? Or how to do home grooming. And then we can sort of very quickly put together some content because we know that's what they're talking about. That's what they're searching for. And then we could put up a piece of content that talks about it. So we're, you know, we're giving them what they want. But then also we've got sort of great additions to that. So so one of our sort of biggest growth areas has been around e-commerce. So you can have this amazing article, but then also you have the products associated with it so that you're kind of giving people the whole experience, uh, experience. So you're telling them, you know, sort of how and then giving them the tools to do it. So that's been probably during the past year definitely during the pandemic, um, e-commerce has been sort of one of our biggest growth areas. Probably we've grown by about 300%. That's huge. That's seismic. So so that's been kind of really exciting for us. But yeah, those two-way conversations, having that Ongoing dialogue with your audiences, you know, whether they're emailing you, they're tweeting you, you know, they're replying to you on Instagram, you know, or, you know, you're, we do a lot of webinars as well and virtual events. It's having those sort of conversations that I guess help um, shape what we put together as brands in terms of content, just, you know, to better serve them, give them stuff that they like and that they're interested in.
0: Mm. i mean there's some interesting points that came out of this uh, part of the conversation one i'm thinking um charlotte mentioned you know the magazine is a kind of girlfriend that you can um, speak to and then ali and jessica and you are you talking about these connections and the community and i was thinking well if you are reading this physical magazine it's a very different space to then having the Uh, ability to engage with somebody on social media that you don't even know, and then create that bond or connection to them. So there's a very different connection in terms of how we then potentially not only engage with somebody, but react to something. It's just one. Yeah. Mm. Just okay. a thought.
4: <laughs> no, it's a great thought. I think. I think what, what a note I wrote down. Forgive me. I can't make notes as we go. is the luxury. Has always been about connection between customer and brand, between the in-store team and customer. You know, that connection is. It's kind of a, you know, a fundamental for for luxury. So you know, customers wanting to connect is is just. It's part of the the, the experience. And I think to your point, Effie, that whole the whole piece around dialogue has just changed so much, hasn't it? You think it's and the olden days, you know, when there was kind of the, the, the print, you just, you know, the print, there was, you know, TV, maybe a bit of cinema or radio, that, those were the choices. You know, there was no dialogue. Whereas now, and it's so valuable. And I love that example you used about the personalization there. You could create personal content for one particular read. I mean, everybody wants personalization. That's one of the biggest trends of our time. And you're doing that fantastically.
0: But then I, um, again, the cynic in me. <laughs> <laughs> is you know these, um these ideas about personalization they they data-driven aren't they so then you know I, I suppose the question is are they really that personal because they data-driven
4: i'd counter on that way they, they might the, the data's what's given you the kind of the raw material but it's insight and i think there's this there's this kind of um notion of just data 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 you must get more data and actually know what you need is insight and it's then how you as a a brand as a business take all of that wealth of information you have that you've gained from from you know the the technological advancements and actually turn it into meaningful data and that's a combination of using the tech but also using the the personal skills as well to really understand this
2: as, yeah, there's also forgetting about it bit and using your instinct. Totally, <laughs> I, I couldn't. agree more.
4: One of one of our members they they talk about getting their buyers to turn off the algorithms and just buy with their instinct. Is this going to sell? Is this something that oh, our
2: customers? Yeah, days, though, I mean, a, a good buyer is is a, a different thing now because sometimes they don't want to look at things even. They just want to look at what the sales were last time. Mm,
1: yeah,
2: and that, that's. A shame for them because they're not getting excited about the product and the shame for us because it's hard to show them something new.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, and I think you know that idea of, of I mean buyers not wanting to look at something when you see what um, a lot of luxury brands have have done with their logos, mm-hmm. for example. Um here's a graphics question, uh, Jessica, uh a design question. You know, they they've in a sense lost their identity through what they've done with their own branding. So you look at the Yves Saint Laurent logo, what it was and what it is. Um, Jessica, what do you think?
1: (laughs) Well, bear in mind, the designer of the original Yves Saint Laurent logo um, uh, took his own life. So maybe he realized that was not the direction to go in. Not the way you wanted me to answer that question this early in the morning. You know, I think um, it's a really interesting question that comes back to things that probably the rest of you know more about than I do, which is there, there seems to be a don't rock the boat Direction in logo design, right? Like we want to have the most number of people. We don't want to offend anybody. We want to just make it sort of bland and disappear, which seems sort of counterintuitive to what a brand should be. But no, many people have been writing about this this trend in in kind of oversimplification. And typography, of course, is the com is the currency of that because brands, from the point of view of the logo, really reside in some typographic, noticeable, markable, or remarkable entity I, I really don't know what to say about that except the fact that i, I think it it must be a response to social media and to mm-hmm. things wanting to just be the simplest and the easy easy to reproduce easy to find don't rock the boat
0: yeah no because I, I suppose i was thinking about this idea of data informing the process of design so yes it's all driven Data
1: must have told those logo designers to not rock yeah. the boat
0: so much. You know? Yeah, which is what Ali was saying, you know, about the buyer doesn't necessarily want to actually look at the product anymore. They just want to see what's sold. Right. So then, right. You know, I suppose what are the ramifications further down to further down the road? And you think about luxury, and you think about luxury historically being this tangible product. It's but there's something-
1: another interesting, like almost almost weirdly counterintuitive metric at the core of a logo when it comes to that logo has to be all things to all people. It's the opposite of the scarcity by which luxury lives and breathes, right? So, I, I'm thinking of those um, those sneakers that those you call them trainers, we call them sneakers uh, that came out the sneaker had de- on the trainer, <laughs> the sneaker on the trainer, uh, that had devil blood in them, right? That they lived, for, do you remember this? It was, I think, Little Noss X who introduced these sneakers, and they were limited edition and they were very expensive, and they had a little. Thing in the heel that had some red liquid, and it was supposed to be blood. And it was this really—it's the opposite of the "Don't Rock the Boat" logo, right? And yet, one is scarcity and weird, and you can't forget it, and it's noticeable. And the other is this—I think it's just a fascinating, large and small purview.
0: Effie, how do you communicate all this different, um, all these different ideas of luxury to all to your different audiences? Because you know, Al and Harper's. Men's health, they, Cosmo, they all have a very different audience, as you've mentioned. The demographic is quite different, but you will you will still see a Fendi advert exam, for example in Cosmo as you would in Harper's or Effendi product. Um, but you're telling the story so differently, aren't you?
3: Yeah, um, and, and you can definitely see. I mean, I guess if you open the pages of a squire or Elle or Harper's, they all have very distinct personalities. It's all luxury but it's told you know told in a different way um and and like i mentioned for l um we know very much that that audience is all about you know the sort of up and coming what's happening you know maybe sort of um Pushing boundaries slightly more than you know, a harper's audience. It's it's still luxury, but you know, with a sort of L audience, it's almost like they want to be on the cusp of something. So it's, you know, it's about sort of taking traditional, well-known, you know, much-loved brands, but then it's also taking those brands that are um, emerging or you know featuring authors that are up and coming or artists or musicians or you know sort of beauty entrepreneurs it's you know it's finding that sort of what will be you know hot in I don't know a year or maybe two years or whatever and it's you know it's it's kind of you know more future facing whereas um, I guess with Harper's like I said it's it's all about that sort of um, rich heritage you know very much um, the process the history behind it you know all of that and um, and having it explained in a really sort of beautiful way. And if you look at, you know, I think one of the things that we we really excel at is if you look within the pages of Harper's, it's, it's like you look at a fashion shoot and it's like, telling a beautiful story, it's all of the details, it's you know, it's the design, it's the staging, it's the styling, it's you know the location, you know, it's the models, it, you know, it's the whole thing. It's one sort of beautiful story coming together. Um and and what I think is so great, and that's almost the skill in sort of working in magazines, you could take one product and it will never look the same across any of our brands.
0: And that I mean that's an interesting point. You, you you spoke a bit about heritage and Harper's. Charlotte, most of your brands have heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the ones that are emergent don't have that heritage yet. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile the two? Because obviously the new ones, you need to communicate this idea of luxury, but they don't have that tradition which mm-hmm. you associate with luxury. And then Effie's, you know, also talking about the differences in the in the way you communicate. How do you deal with that in slight imbalance?
4: It's that's such a terrific point. And, and the point around heritage is so multifaceted, isn't it? And, and, and a complete Ooh. conversation in, in, its, in its own right. I'm going to try and unpick that question and, and answer it. Um, yes, obviously, the vast majority of our member businesses are hundreds of years to, to decades old. But I think what's quite u- unique about the UK and the British luxury goods industry, say versus the say French and Italian luxury goods industry, our sector's actually got a lot of younger brands within the community as well. So yes, there are the, the 200, 300, 400-year-old businesses, absolutely. And I think they've managed and Kind can, of, can, can, um, they've managed their heritage well so they, they 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 treasure it and they nurture it it's part of their brand story but they continue to evolve because you just can't stay stuck in the past and just say we're really old isn't that fantastic you know that that's not a quality of a brand it's the ability to to move forwards to, to take it with you and, and uh, honor it but constantly move forwards as well But then to the point on on the young of our brands of tomorrow, um, I remember doing a webinar, and it wasn't a webinar, it was was probably a summit or something, a talk ages ago, is how do you create heritage when you're a new brand? And actually, you, you, you can create heritage, you can create that. At authority through a number of different cues from your branding perhaps from the heritage of the product that you're working with, so you can create heritage but actually it's really enjoyable for those younger brands you know to, to not be wedded to the past to, to be innovative and to do new things um and and in a way you know heritage you don't necessarily have to have heritage to be part of the luxury community and i think that's where the brands tomorrow are so strong is that they are able to just do things differently and do they, mm,
1: they
4: definitely do and you I think of some of our current kind of brands, or some that have just, you know, kind of um as I say, kind of graduated from the program, somebody like Joanna Dyes is the most amazing, amazing designer. And she is using uh, a range of different fabrics, particularly synthetics fabrics, and, and kind of innovating in that materials piece. So um lots of examples of, of those businesses, you know, choosing to innovate, taking all the heritage of the past and and knowing that, but then doing it in their own way.
0: I want to ask a slightly personal question. Um, I mean, it's not too personal. I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> no, I nope. just wanted to ask you about um, tech uh, because we've been talking a lot about you know, the, you know about uh, technology, and I just wondered how it's changed the way that we interact, but on a personal level.
4: I love it. Hands up. I I totally, I I love the point that you made, um, Effie, but actually, you know, with the fashion shoots and then the show, I love that you can now see behind those and you can be much more involved in it. And um, I just think that's it's terrific to be able to be much have a much richer and deeper relationship and to see more. Um, I think that's just a, a huge positive, but. One must remember too that we still are in charge of it, and I think you can get to the point. And we're probably all guilty of, of the endless scroll and picking our phones up 150 times an hour. And, and there is there is there is a subtle, I think, issue that we need to be better at managing that relationship. That's a whole other conversation as well.
0: Um, Effie, how? how um, what about you? How have you changed the way you interact?
3: Probably. I mean, to be honest, I work in comms, so it's almost like. I have so many sort of different channels that I look at and sometimes it can be all encompassing, but I think, um, to me the past year, I've been really grateful for tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't been able to see family and sort of friends or, you know, go to experiences or whatever. And sort of just on a personal level, um, tech has been amazing. I mean, I. I can't lie, Uh, Zoom and sort of Teams and everything like that. I think everyone, you know, at the start, it was like, this is really fun. It's a great way to connect. And then you almost get to the point where you're like, okay, I I don't think I can do this anymore. But, you know, I, I actually think it's been sort of really helpful and I've embraced it a lot more. And I used to be the type of shopper. I would never buy online. And I know everyone's different. I've got friends who absolutely, you know, will go on to somewhere and, and sort of buy goods, um, will buy fashion, et cetera. But for me, I'm more of a sensory person and I actually like to go in and sort of feel and, and, and touch things. So that's never really been my sort of mode of purchasing something, but that's changed in the past year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've kind of shifted my consumption habits substantially, and I, I, I honestly didn't think that I would do it, but it's amazing how you, you kind of adapt and evolve, and it's, you know, it's not a worse experience, it's just a different experience. And so tech to me, I think on a personal level, but also from a sort of, business level and a brand level tech has been incredibly important for us and um, I think it's kind of made what we do better and you know better for us in terms of challenging us but then also better for our audiences as well. And Ali what about you?
2: I'm I'm quite mixed about it because obviously it does make things simpler in some ways you know the the, I hate Zoom meetings I have to say (laughs) Um, i haven't got one minute of today that hasn't got one in it practically apart from i'm going for a haircut a bit later Um, but it's still back to back it seems and so there's no time to actually do anything apart from being on a zoom i don't know i don't know how we're supposed to do things in between sometimes um because we're, we're endlessly back to back on it and the other little rant is that um you can get into arguments with people on just email that you wouldn't if you spoke to them in, in real life or if you were sitting next to them. You know, you could say, oh, that was a bit of a funny thing. To, you know, that emails seem to be, because they're quite short sometimes, you don't probably finish them, you don't say goodbye. It's not the right friendliness sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can sort of be, somebody can say something a bit critical, which if you were saying it, in reality, you might wink or you might, smile or something whereas it comes out on an email you don't know how to read it
1: um, I so. agree with that I, I think you know the thing about this is we're flattened right it, it homogenizes technology makes it efficient but also homogenizes and neutralizes the landscape and for me I have I have to turn it off and I've done more drawing and painting this year than I ever have because I have to I think from the maker perspective technology is a wonderfully efficient tool but it it, it, it has a role in the studio but it doesn't it doesn't dominate the studio it can't for me it can't
2: Yeah. I think actually having more home time for work has actually been very nice because you you have the freedom to be a bit more hands-on with things. I've done lots of experimenting with things.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to move um, on to something slightly different, uh, just um, really around... Um, kind of repurpose reuse the circular economy sustainability issues and I wondered if um, just as a general question you had um, a view as to whether or not these circular models are going to change the way we consume we consume luxury so you know we've got a wealth of um, um, of experience here in the way we communicate um, with an audience what we make for the audience how we engage with the audience and I was just wondering, um If you, I feel very
2: cynical about a lot of it. I think I think everybody's saying this is recycled. This is, you know. But sometimes these recycled fabrics take more energy to make, or or they or they've whipped them around the world so that you can have it individually. You know, it's it's a nonsense a lot of it. It's an absolute nonsense. And for a company like ours, it's very difficult to get hold of things like this as well. But for for um, materials particularly where we can do things is repurposing which we've been doing quite a bit of actually using ends of lines of materials putting them together re-looking at how they work together and I feel quite I uh, like I'm behind that I don't feel that I'm pulling the wool over anybody's eyes but I do feel that there's an awful lot of like well, greenwashing I suppose it's a simple word.
0: Effie what are you what are your thoughts?
3: I can only talk about I guess what we sort of decided to do and, and and what we understand, we, we, I mean, I guess we've realized that it's, it's a huge issue and that we needed to take action. So, so we made a pledge ourselves in terms of our own sort of um, commitment to sustainability and to basically go for this um, accreditation, which was the gold standard in business management, but um, you know, across our brands. So back in 2018, we created our first sustainability issue for Elle um, and it was our September issue. So it's like, you know, the pinnacle, you know, the most important um, issue of the year. And that was dedicated to sustainability just because, you know, we knew we had to do it. It was something that was important. It was something that was important to our audiences. Um, One of the things that we have started doing is because we know that there is so much out there and it's it's sometimes really hard for people to know what is and what isn't or where to find it we've um started to well we have been signposting it um we also have um an accreditation um function so we have something called the Hearst institute which is where we sort of um test and accredit products so you know everything you can think about from sort of beauty products to you know, whatever it is, um, and actually, you know, we now um, are able to, across our brands, sort of give a an accreditation so that we can signpost for our readers, you know, what is sustainable and what isn't, so I think that's been um, a really interesting innovation, but, you know, it, I would say that, it, you know, elves have sort of really started that conversation, Country Living actually as well was was also talking about it, but as things have progressed in terms of our content, because we know that it's something that people really are sort of interested in finding out more about, um, I think we've seen a shift in terms of the amount of content that we sort of dedicate to that and to that issue, just because we know that it's a real sort of key topic and it's
0: important. Oh. Because as, as um as you were talking, Effie, I was just thinking about um the conversations that we've had before and that um, with Lydia, um just around the impact that this past years had on the way we do things. Mm-hmm. So there's you know there's there's not as much travel anymore to to sure. put on a shoot and things like that. so um what is what are um, the biggest changes that you've had to um, undertake over that over the past year, which, in part, addresses some of these issues you've just spoken about.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, as a sort of magazine publishing industry, there was a lot of travel, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of things we did to create these beautiful mm-hmm. spreads and sort of cover shoots. And a good example, actually, and I don't know if Lydia mentioned it, was we had Ashley Graham, who was going to mm-hmm. be on the cover of Harper's Bazaar. And normally you would fly out a team you know over to the u s and you know do this beautiful, amazing shoot, and we couldn't do it because we were in lockdown. Mm. so in the end, um Ashley and her family shot herself and so directed by our sort of harper's team, um she styled herself um her mum was like her fashion assistant, her partner was the photographer um and you know and it was actually shot at you know her home I think in in uh Nebraska and whereas before we would you know probably have these sort of big teams in a studio sort of creating it what we had as an end product was something that was um very different it was sort of intimate it was very authentic it was you know it was beautiful because it was sort of behind the scenes and you know created in a really sort of lovely way that we would never have um sort of thought about previously and, and you know that's for our our cover so you know there's been lots of things in terms of the way that you know people have been self-shooting in their homes so cutting down on that sort of you know um sort of travel aspect of things um, you know as a business as well we were we were already looking at ways that we could cut down um, and be more sustainable as a business and try and make sure that the things that we were doing were sort of justified. But I think with the pandemic, um, it's definitely changed the way that we've done things. But we've also realised, actually, we can do things this way and still get sort of beautiful content um, and creative, you know, amazing stuff out of it. And it doesn't necessarily warrant us having to do X, Y, Z. So it's been a bit of a learning process, but I think it's been a sort of great learning process.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about also then just that seems to um, resonate with the customer in in that you have something that is much more personal. Yeah. Um, When you're dealing with um, Charlotte or Ali, uh, when you're dealing with actual making of the product, it's very different because, you know, we've had over the past year, there's been um, delays in materials getting out. For example, I don't know, Ali, if you suffered from that. When yeah, you were- there's
2: shipping delays.
0: Yeah, shipping delays. I
2: mean, t- tanneries being closed down. But, uh, yeah, all sorts of things. But um, we, I don't know. We, we sort of. There's, there's, there's more photography has been going on very recently. Like mad. It's, it's, it seems content
0: is is. It seems more local, doesn't it? just yeah. in terms of photography, because we, we still can't fly, so... don't believe it.
2: There's plenty of flying being going
0: on. Oh, oh I, I, know. <laughs> I know. Well, I live under the flight path, so I'm seeing <laughs> planes, you know, it was quiet.
2: I, I know people who've been flying.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, but, Charlotte, this this idea of the circular economy and sustainability, um, often it's not 100% clear in how these um, companies manage... These issues because they might, uh, you know, th- you might be using a, a textile that comes from oh I don't I don't know where you know I don't know Suffolk um, and um, there's little information really available other than well it's not had to travel that far because it's from Suffolk um, so it is sustainable but then you which, have which fiber grows in Suffolk which fiber is it that's grown in Suffolk.
2: The pharmacist no, no, effects uh, doesn't come from somewhere else, has not it? This <laughs> is the point.
0: That's the point. Charlotte, how are your the companies you represent dealing with that?
4: So pleased we're talking about this because it's such a huge topic. And I was worried we might just jump onto something else and not come back to it. So thank you. So, so key. And just a quick, it might be useful for any of the, the audience um, who are watching, is that um, a year and a half ago and I get kind of COVID amnesia and kind of forget timeframes. But in January 2020, we launched our Warpall Sustainability Manifesto. And we set out a long project I led with McKinsey in the run-up to, to, to the launch um, to develop the whole strategic approach. But we have built um, 12 aspirations that will help to galvanize and help our member businesses work towards and, and, and quickly accelerate their journey to a much more sustainable future for all and embed sustainable business practices into their organization. And they're very happy to share that with anybody who would like a copy afterwards, just just go to the Warpaw website or, or be in touch, and we're really happy to share that. Um, what has been a key part of the strategy was that we would we would develop um working groups across the membership community by verticals, fashion and apparel, watches and jewelry. Uh, beauty and fragrance, et cetera, et cetera. So those working groups in every six to eight weeks, um, we work through the priorities in our, in our agenda, but it is incredible. There is such phenomenal work happening that it's probably not even a 10th of it's probably visible behind the scenes. Um, and Sean, you make such a good point there because this is such a complex area and there's trade-offs in everything. Something that it might be more sustainable in this area actually has a greater impact here. Um, And I think that is the value of of collaboration and people working together, is that they can share where they've got problems, they can share opportunities, they can share suppliers and contacts. And it is amazing the level of just collaboration and willingness to help each other on this journey is extraordinary. Um, So it is a very complex area, but there is amazing work that is being done. Um, You know, and this is the decade for action that there is no more waiting anymore. And actually, this has to be happening now, be it addressing climate action, um, be it addressing you know, things like our packaging and, and FE. I'm so thrilled that you're you're doing that, you're helping to to you know the, the customer because it's so confusing for them. You know, how do you know what is sustainable versus what isn't? And even to the point of kind of home recycling, I'm endlessly baffled and I and I know a little bit about this. And I think that's a huge role of the media is to help educate the customer. And certainly the role of brands is to change customer behavior. So I'm thrilled that you're doing that piece of work.
1: It's so interesting to me, you know, so much of luxury feels aspirational and exotic. And I'm very drawn to initiatives that in some ways isolate and illuminate for us the things we might not be thinking about along the way to that aspiration. And one of them is um, uh, we do a lot of work with our friends at MasterCard. We have uh, a very interesting creative team led by a terrific woman called Cindy Chastain here in the U.S., and they're doing something. They've just recently come out with something that I think is so terrific um, in, in the context of what you're saying, Charlotte, which is uh, a new credit card that tracks your transactions against your carbon footprint. Wow. wow. Right. And it's called, it, it's got some wonderful name, which I'm, of course, because I'm so desperate for a cup of coffee right now, not remembering, but I will find out and let you know. But I, I thought it was just a really thoughtful, gentle prod to sort of give you you know, your itinerary towards consumption is what it is in terms of aspiration.
0: But guess what? A plane had to fly out of Suffolk to get that, that fibre to make that, you know, whatever it is. Brilliant. Yeah. Even though they don't make any fibre in Suffolk, as um, um, Ali rightly pointed out. It might be coming from Belgium, um, Ali, the linen. Uh, we're trying to talk
2: about hemp. At the
0: yeah, line, yeah.
2: I've got this project on with hemp. We're growing the hemp in Cambridge, uh, but we can't get it uh, spun here. We can't use the the seeds to sell, which would be hugely profitable. But it's the most amazing fiber, grows yeah. really quickly, no pesticides.
0: No. I so mean, hemp also. is the most sustainable fabric you can. Most sustainable use. thing, yeah. What about blockchain? I mean, just to throw something else into to the mix, I don't um, Charlotte.
4: Really, really, really used to That point about the role of technology incredibly useful for being able to mm. try and communicate. The journey of a product,
0: phenomenally useful. Because I think you, you know, you can typically do that within with anybody, uh, yeah. not with anybody. Well, you could do that with anybody, but with yeah. anything, yeah, um, definitely, and then really, really useful in that way. And I think from, you know, luxuries per se, they
4: are to, to to your point, you know, Sean. I like the example of Suffolk. I'm maybe thinking lavender, but you know. <laughs> It's a very complex supply chain that is, at a minimum, it's a European supply chain, but from a distribution perspective, it's a global distribution chain with different materials coming in from numerous different countries um and and, and it, it's difficult to go to back into your supply chain um i said there's a business johnson velgum one of our members most gorgeous gorgeous cashmere business they've done amazing work on the cashmere supply chain mold doing phenomenal work on the leather supply chain um i just i it's great to see our brands talking about this more and being really just transparent we're on a journey this is the progress we're making mm. um but i think that that role that you know i'm so thrilled to hear that you're doing that piece of work it's just helping to tell that story to the to the customer and the consumers so that they they can understand more and they can make better decisions
0: yeah well i and i think i think that's right as long as the stories are honest and more well, truthful because often the supply chain stops at a certain point and i think you know what ali was saying earlier that you know she's slightly um skeptical about about some of those issues is that there needs to be that honesty, so you, and that's why blockchain potentially helps, because you also then bring up the question around authenticity, don't you? Um, and how we manifest, how that manifests itself in the ways in which we communicate what it is we're communicating about a, a product and/or service. Just a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, throwing the ideas out there. So, uh, we've got a, a couple of minutes left, and I just wanted to ask you if you thought that um, this is actually, I know we said no questions uh, from anybody, but um, can luxury be defined as something you have a deeper personal connection to? So, not necessarily um, a physical object. Oh, Totally. Gotcha. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Right. okay, that's easy. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes is the answer. As a kind of um, finishing thought, I wanted to ask you all about what you thought was new on the horizon in terms of uh, luxury customer experience. Um, anybody?
1: It's probably that? true that. Oh, go ahead, Charlotte.
4: You no, no, you go. No, sorry, I didn't.
1: I, didn't, I, was no, just I was gonna try- say I'm not a luxury <laughs> person. I'm just I'm thinking sort of in the very broadest strokes that after a year like the one we've had, what we value has changed for many people right? I mean, I think, and yet you've got these continuations of magazines and companies and brands and delivery mechanisms and supply chains about things, but the and in terms of value, what we value, I think it's changed.
2: The garden. Yeah,
4: <laughs> totally. Time with friends and family, just
1: exactly.
4: Not commuting. <laughs> One example of things I value, not commuting. Yeah, being able to see this from my home is a great joy.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Ali. Well, I've I've just started working back in our team, and I just love it. <laughs> i really missed it—not sort of having people around to interact. Mm. So, I, I my hope is that we continue to have time together.
4: There'll be kind of a hybrid. Won't there? There'll be a blend, isn't there? I think that's where.
2: I'll be. Yeah. No, I think the balance is nice. It, yeah. Quite. Just three days of one and two or three days of the other.
3: Yes. Very
0: nice. And Effie, what about uh, what about you?
3: Um, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think there'll be sort of like a hybrid of, of sort of the way we work. I think time has become a real sort of luxury. We've all become busier. I don't know how everyone else feels, but yes. <laughs> you know, my biggest luxury is actually just having time and having time for myself, but also having time with my loved ones. And, you know, those small sort of simple things that you always knew we were important, but I guess the past year has really highlighted just how important those things are. Um, and just taking time to really sort of savor and and value them. And you know, quality, you know, whatever that might look like, but sort of quality, it doesn't have to be for me lots of things. Like I'd rather have, you know, one thing that I spend time on and, and sort of do really well and it's like quality time or a quality experience rather than trying to cram lots of different things in. So it's, yeah, it's like time, quality, you know, appreciating things that you didn't realise were, you know, important or you valued and that's sort of all being highlighted. And I think in terms of our consumers I think that's what they've been asking for as well, you know. I just think people's priorities have changed
0: a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're sort of moving with them. I mean, I think all these, I mean, really interesting. The quality issue is definitely one I think that we are much more um, aware of. And, you know, it's not necessarily with a product. It's with everything. You know, it's the quality of life. It's the quality of relationship, the quality of a product, of a service, of an experience. I think... Those are becoming much more important to us. And I think that's why we are, I I suppose, shopping slightly differently.
3: And a sense of community as well. You know, I've also seen and I know, you know, a a lot of people I know kind of really got behind brands that maybe were a bit more local Mm. or, you know, after BLM, you know, black-owned products, Mm -hmm. you know, different things. And I almost feel as though that whole sort of social conscience is sort of playing into our buying habits moving forwards people are asking a lot more questions mm-hmm. They're asking questions from brands as well and so you know that yeah that's kind of been a huge consumer shift mm-hmm. I think
0: yeah and what better a way to end this um, amazing chat <laughs> thank you. Um, I want to thank you all so much it's been fantastic having you um, I'd just like to say to the audience Join the hundred and forty thousand odd others who have listened to the podcast. The only person who's not there, is Charlotte. But I think Charlotte, we will we could certainly do one soon. Um, listen to the podcast because it's this and more. Um, but from each of our um, amazing visionary women who have participated. So I want to thank you for taking the time. Um, I know you've all zoomed out. I know you're all busy. Uh, But thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for challenging us.
1: Thank you (laughs) for inviting us. Bye.
4: That's been great fun. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Sean. Good. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jessica, Charlotte, Alison, and Effie. Thank you to our partner, Intellect Books, and you for listening. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.